Well, it's a joy to be with you here at uh, Cortez. We've heard a lot of good from Mom and Dad, and, and we appreciate Kevin doing the work that he's doing here. It's good to be with you. I encourage you to open your Bibles to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 55 is where you and I will begin our study through the Word of God this morning. Isaiah chapter 55. The basis for entire love. Our lesson comes from our reading from our brother just a few moments ago. And it was the question, to whom shall we go? You, Lord, have the words of life. To whom shall you go? And that is a good question because life is rough. Life is difficult. Life is full of trials and tribulations and temptations. I need to know where to go when life gets hectic like that. So do you. That's what I want to explore with you for a few moments this morning. In an introductory way, I want to think with you about some places that people turn that they ought not to when life gets rough like it does. For instance, some people turn to others. They turn to mankind to help them solve their problems. Have you heard somebody say once before that you put your faith and trust in man long enough, you will be disappointed? And there's a lot of truth in that statement. I remind you in the book of Isaiah 55, verses 8 and verse 9, that the Messianic prophet wrote, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You might add to that Jeremiah 10 in verse 23, that it is not a man that walketh to do what? To direct his own steps. If I'm going to get through this life, if you and I are going to get through this life, and all the difficulties that come along with it, I need somebody to guide me and to help me along the way. And that is not man. That is God and His Word. Yet others turn to something other than men. They turn to money. Money will solve all of my problems, right? But if I just have a little more money, a little more, a few more possessions, a lot more stuff, everything in this life would be much better. That's not true, is it? In the book of 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 10, all the way down through verse 17, Paul talks about the the evil of the love of money. That the love of money is what? It is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after the air from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Paul tells Timothy in verse 17 of the same text, charge those that are rich not to trust in their what? In their uncertain riches. In their uncertain riches. Solomon said it this way, Proverbs 11 verse 28, he who trusts in riches shall fall. He shall fail. Now, while we need men to help us through this life, and as we discussed in our Bible class, we need each other to, to get through this life. Ultimately, God is the one that I trust, and money will not solve my problems. In fact, it may do just the opposite. It might originate some problems that I really don't need in my life. And there's a third place that some turn to today. And there's a lot of folks who are doing it now, and that's human philosophy. Our colleges are full of human philosophy, and then it started to trickle down into high schools and elementary schools and on down. And down the human philosophy is going to be what saves me from all the trials of this life. If you don't believe me, go into your local Barnes & Noble or a bookstore and look at the religious section over here with a, a few Bibles sprinkled through it and then go over here to the self-help section that is blossoming out and becoming a big part of a library or a bookstore. How to help yourself. How to get through this life with all of its trials and difficulties and on and on and on. 
Human philosophy will not help me in this life. In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21, if you were to care to jot that down, it talks about that. The wisdom of the world versus the wisdom of God. That the wisdom of the world, the wisdom through that wisdom, some do not know who God is. I tell you, there's a lot of folks who, whatever the professor says at the college, or whatever the teacher says at the school, or whatever my boss says at work, that is what's going to fly, that is what's going to go. And I'll tell you, it's what's going to lead you away from God, too, if you're not careful. Human philosophy is not where to turn when life hits a bump in the road. So I want to think with you about the places that we need to turn. Where do we need to turn when life gets difficult? When you feel worthless. You ever feel worthless before? Every once in a while we get down in the dumps and we feel like we're not valuable at all. That we're worthless. When you feel worthless, to whom shall you turn? To whom shall you go? I submit to you that you should go to the great Redeemer. The great Redeemer. In the book of Job, chapter 19, if you turn your Bibles over there, you and I both know Job very well. We've studied his plight several times in our life, no doubt, and the difficulties that he had in his life. I doubt if he added up all the difficulties in our life together, we still may not be as troubled as Job was in his. Job was able to maintain his faith throughout all of these difficulties. And I'm going to tell you, the reason why he was able to maintain his faith and it never broke was because he trusted in God. Job 19, verse 23, the Bible reads, Oh, that my words were now written, oh, that they were printed in a book, that they were graven with an iron pen and lead in a rock forever. Now look at verse number 25. For I know, you might highlight that in your Bibles, I know that my Redeemer lives. Are you able to say that today? I know some of you have troubles even today, or difficult trials that you're trying to weave your way through. I have to know that when I'm weak and I feel like my worth is not what it ought to be, I must go to the one who can redeem me. Now, what does the word redeem mean? The word redeem simply means to buy back. There's something of yours and something of mine that needs to be bought back, that needs to be purchased back. And what is that? That's our sin. What's the Bible say about our sin in Romans 3 and verse 23? That all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We learn later on in the same book in Romans 6 and verse 23 that the wages of those sin is what? The wages of those sin is death, eternal separation from God. I want to be bought back from that, do you not? And when I feel that I need to be bought back from those sins, there's only one place that I can turn, and that is to the great Redeemer. Have you turned to the great Redeemer today? The psalmist said in Psalm 49, in verse 15, that the Lord God, He will redeem me from the grave. He will buy me back. He will quicken my spirit. And one day, even though I may physically die, I will rise again because I have been bought back by the blood of the Lamb. So have you, if you've submitted to Him in your life. It means to buy back. It means to, to redeem. That's where you need to go. You ever been to a place like Chuck E. Cheese before? I'm, there's probably one around here somewhere. Or some place where there's a lot of games and these tickets come out and you get all your tickets together and you put them into a machine now, a fancy machine, and it tells you how many tickets you have. And where do you take those tickets to? If you go to a place like I've been before, it's a place that's called the Redemption Counter. You ever been to the Redemption Counter? And what it is meaning is, 
I put a $20 bill into the token machine, and now I'm going to go back to the redemption counter, and I'm going to get $20 worth of prizes, right? Of course, we know that's not true, but that's the idea, that I'm buying back the $20 that I put into the machine in a different form, in a different form of prizes. When I sin, when you sin and we do, our sin needs to be bought back, and it will be by the great Redeemer. In the book of Galatians chapter 3, when Paul was writing to the church at Galatia, Galatians 3, and in verse 13, he says, Christ has redeemed us. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. Think about those first few words. Christ has what? Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. A little later in the New Testament, the book of Titus, chapter 2, and in verse 14, when Paul was writing to the evangelists left in Crete, Titus 2 and verse 14, describing Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us, buy us back from what? From all iniquity, and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. The man asked a good question in John 6 and verse 68, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Where are you going to go? Where am I going to go today to have my sins bought back other than to the great Redeemer? And there is nobody else that you can go to other than Jesus the Christ himself. Let's turn our attention to Ephesians chapter 2. So we feel worthless, we feel valueless, we turn to the great Redeemer. Other times in my life, I feel weak and feel vulnerable, like life is falling apart and my foundation underneath me is crumbling and I'm trying to hang on for dear life. Haven't you felt that way before? I think all of us have. When I feel that way, to whom shall I turn? Well, this time I'm not going to turn to the great Redeemer. I'm going to turn to the chief cornerstone. In Ephesians 2, verses 19 through 22, Paul says these words, Now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints, and of the household of God, and you are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being what? Being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together grows unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are built together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. Jesus Christ is not only the cornerstone. The Bible identifies himself as what? The chief, the chief cornerstone. You ever built a house before or a barn or some structure? Most of you probably have participated in some type of activity like that. What is the most important block that you lay? It's the first one. It's the first one that's on the corner. And if that cornerstone is not laid exactly right, by the end of that wall, you're going to find out that it's crooked and you're probably going to start all over again. Who wants to do that? The problem is for us that I make my foundation, that I make my chief cornerstone other than something not named Jesus Christ. I make it money. I make it family. I make it sleep. I make it work. And what I'm going to find out at the end of my life, if that has been my chief cornerstone, I'm going to look back at a crooked life. You are encouraged today to make Jesus your chief cornerstone. Make him your foundation. Back in the book of Psalms, Psalm number 118, in verse 22, Psalm 118, verse 22, 
This is a prophecy that I don't know if you covered it or not in the first uh, evening of this series, but a prophecy concerning Jesus, the stone, which is Jesus Christ, the stone which the builders refused or rejected is become the headstone of the corner. That, of course, is Jesus the Christ. Later on in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 28 and in verse 16, another prophecy concerning the Lord and Savior. Isaiah 28 and verse 16. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion, or Jerusalem, for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. All those describe Jesus, that he is pure, that he is holy, that he is tried and tested and sure. That's the best foundation you're going to find in your life, my friend, today, is Jesus the Christ. Do you recall Jesus once said, or David once said in Psalm 127, verse 1, Except the Lord build the house. Now, can you feel that in, in your mind? Except the Lord build the house, they who labor, labor how? Labor in vain. What does the word vain mean? It means empty, right? Of no value. There is no value in my building my life if my foundation and chief cornerstone is not Jesus that we've talked about for several days in a row now. He must be my foundation. That's why Peter said in the book of Acts chapter 4, as the church was starting to unfold in its infant stage, the apostles knew who their chief cornerstone was, who their foundation was. In Acts 4, 11, and 12, this is, a, a, by the way, a rendering of the psalm prophecy. This is the stone which was set at naught of your builders, which has become the head of the corner. Now listen to verse number 12, particularly. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must or could be saved. So if you read Acts 4 and verse 12, how many others died for you to be saved? The answer is none. There's only one that died for us. How many others are going to provide a sure, solid, and steady foundation for us when life gets tough and difficult? There's only one. That is Jesus the Christ. When I make my chief cornerstone and my foundation something or somebody else, trouble's brewing. Finally, in the book of 1 Corinthians 3, in verse 11 on this point, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, in verse 11, just in case these other verses were not enough, Paul again writes, 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 11, For other foundation can no man lay, that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Who's your foundation? Who's your chief cornerstone? When you get to the end of your life, like some are now, and you begin to rewind your life and look back on it, are we going to look at a straight line because it's been justified by the blood of Christ and have made Him my foundation? Or am I going to look back on a crooked line because I made my foundation something other than Jesus? In order for him to be my chief cornerstone, I have to render obedience to him. We hope that you do that today. Now, in the book of Matthew chapter 9, sometimes we feel worthless, have no value. We turn to the great redeemer. Sometimes I feel weak and like my foundation is crumbling. Who shall I turn to? I'll turn to the chief cornerstone. What about when I'm feeling spiritually ill? We all fall ill physically from time to time. We also fall spiritually ill as well. And when I feel sick spiritually, to whom shall I turn? 
I shall turn to, as we sing about, the great physician. I'll turn to the great physician. You recall in the book of Matthew 9, verses 10 through 13. There are so many times in the life of Jesus that folks would see him doing certain things or saying certain things and try to catch him in a mistake. Here's another one of those. In verse 10 of Matthew 9, And it came to pass as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said to them, They that behold need not a physician, but they that are who? They that are sick. But you go and learn what all this means. I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to what? But sinners to repentance. Jesus is announcing himself here as the great physician. I have come to the ones that are sick, to the ones that are suffering from the most vile of diseases on the face of this earth. That's sin. There's no disease that causes more problems in this life ever than the sin sickness. The results of living in sin are far more disastrous than dealing with the results of cancer or heart disease or any other number of diseases that you can list. They can take my life, and they might, but they cannot take my soul, but sin can. And when I'm full of sin and sick from it, who am I going to turn to? I'm going to turn to the great physician, the only one that can mend and make me whole. That's Jesus. You recall the situation in the book of John chapter 11. John 11, as you're turning over there, I'd encourage you to read, as you've done before, no doubt, the whole chapter about Lazarus being sick. Mary and Martha are begging the Lord. We'll see that here in a few moments. Lazarus, of course, goes ahead and dies, and we know the rest of the story very well. I want to centralize our focus, though, on something that happened in, in verse 1 through 3, where it says, Now a certain man was sick, named Lazarus at Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary that anointed the Lord with ointment, wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sister sent to the town doctor, saying, Come and be with our brother who is sick. Does your Bible say something about a town doctor there? It shouldn't, but if it does, you ought to burn that version. I don't know what version that is. But verse 3 actually says, Therefore his sister sent unto the medical professionals in the town to come and to see our brother. Does it say that? It doesn't say that. It doesn't say anything about a nurse practitioner. It doesn't say anybody who thinks they might know anything about medicine. Who did they call when their brother was sick? They said they called the Lord. Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. They went to the one source that they knew that could help and help the most when their brother was sick. Turn to the Lord. You ever been in a conversation with somebody before and they've had a rough day or maybe they are dealing with a sickness themselves or a loved one is sick or maybe they're uh, feeling worthless or they're feeling foundationless? Oh, did you, did you find, try to find any help? Well, yeah, I talked to my doctor and I talked to... Uh, his nurses, and I talked to my mom, and I talked to my dad, I talked to my brothers and my sisters, I talked to the family of God, I talked to a stranger about it in line at the grocery store. Have you talked to the Lord about it? Well, no, I haven't thought about that. Maybe I ought to. 
The Lord should not be and cannot be our last resort. He must be our first resort and last resort and everywhere in between. I'm impressed by Mary and Martha. They went straight to the source of the one who could help the best and the most. Now, if you write things in your Bibles, I would encourage you to write outside verse number 3, 2 Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 12. And then we're going to turn back there because I want to compare what happened with Mary and Martha to the fella in 2 Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 12. And I want you to remember what Mary and Martha did. They went to the Lord to find help. 2, Corinthians, 2 Chronicles 16 and verse 12. Now, by the way, we're talking about a fellow by the name of Asa. You've heard of Asa before. And Asa, in the thirty and ninth year of his reign, was diseased in his feet until his disease was exceeding great. Now, watch this. Yet in his disease he sought not to the Lord, but to who? But to the physicians. That's exactly polar different from what Mary and Martha had just done. They went to the Lord and not to the physicians. And Asa, what does he do? He doesn't go to the Lord. He goes to the physicians. Now you have to make up your mind today and I have to make up my mind as well. When life gets hard and when I'm feeling spiritually ill, am I going to go to the physicians or am I going to go to the Lord, the great physician? I can't go to both. Which one am I going to go to? When I'm spiritually ill. You remember 2 Kings 20? A fellow by the name of Hezekiah. God told him to set your house what? Set your house in order, for you will die. Now Hezekiah was a good man. He was a good king. One of the precious few good kings of the divided kingdom. He had uh, gotten all of the idol worship out of Israel there. Out and, and eradicated it. But God has told him, set your house in order, for you will die. Now let me ask you, what would you do? If, if somebody said, you're going to die... Our first instinct might be, I've got to go to a doctor. I've got to go to a doctor and see what he has to say about this. I'm going to go get a second and a third and a fourth opinion to make sure what the first guy said to me was right. What was his first response? When he was told to set your ass in order, for you will die, he turned his face to the Lord and he prayed. And of course, God answered his prayer by extending his life for 15 years. We all are spiritually sick from time to time. At one time, all of us who had not been buried in baptism were full of sin, spiritually sick, and were taught what to do about it, and we did it to rid ourselves of sin. Somebody may ask you one day, what's the big deal? I hear you talk about sin all the time. Sin this, sin that, sin over there, sin here. What's the big deal about sin? Well then, consider Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. Where it says, the Lord's hand is not shortened that he cannot help, nor his ear heavy that he cannot what? That he cannot hear. But your sins and your iniquities have separated you between you and your God. That's the big deal. It's not that the Lord can't help. It's not that the Lord can't extend his arm, his loving arm and help. It's not a matter of can't. And it's not a matter of Lord not being able to hear or can't hear when you call to Him. It's a matter of won't. That's the sad part about those verses. That when I'm living in sin and can care less about it, just to keep on living in that life of sin, 
God says, I will not hear your prayer or listen to it with the intent to answer it or extend my arm to help you. That's the big deal about sin. You need God in your life, do you not? I need God in my life. From time to time, we're all drowning in a sea of sin. What am I going to do about it? When it's time to do something about it, go to the great physician. Hey, the fellow in John 6 asked a wonderful question. Where should we go? Where are we going to go? Where should I go? You have the words of eternal life. And today, if you are feeling like you are not worth anything, I assure you, you are. The world may, may not see any worth in you, but God does. No matter how far down you have sunk in your self-esteem, God wants you to be saved and He wants you to come to Him and obey Him. No matter how tossed your life may feel right now because life is rough and difficult and full of all kinds of trials and tribulations. And again, you may feel like that foundation is starting to slip out from under you. It can be fixed and it can be righted by coming to the Lord, the chief cornerstone. And today there may be one or more among us who are living a life of sin. Never have been buried in baptism to rise to walk in newness of life. What does baptism accomplish? Well, it accomplishes at least two things that we can read of in the Bible. First, it washes away your sin, Acts 22 and verse 16, and prompts the Lord to add you to the one true church, Acts 2 and verse 47. There's no reason to leave those doors today. Not having come to the chief cornerstone. Not having visited the great physician to rid yourself of your sin. Perhaps you've done that in the past. As a child of God, you are here, but maybe you're not. You're kind of mentally checked out. It's time to check back in. It's time to reignite your relationship with God, to restart, to re-kick your relationship with Christ, the one who died for you. He's not asking for your money. He's not asking for any possession of yours. He's asking for you to bow your head and pray to Him to seek forgiveness. And He promises that very thing in 1 John chapter 1. In verse 9, we'd love to assist you in immersing you in the waters of baptism. We'd love to pray with you so that your sin can be wiped clean off your soul once again. If we can help you with those lanes, come as we stand and as we sing.